Today we find Jesus by the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Of course, uh, you know that we are still in the season after Epiphany, although the color has changed from white to green. And we are now sort of headlong into the ministry of Jesus and his calling of his disciples. Because we know that in the Holy Scriptures, we, we hear very, very little about the young life of Christ. There's a lot written about his birth and the circumstances surrounding that, and a little bit about his youth. But really, the story of the plan of salvation begins with his baptism in the River Jordan at the hands of St. John the Baptist. Now, interestingly, um, this week we have uh, the gospel from Matthew, where Jesus calls, uh, calls four of his disciples uh, in order that the prophecy may be fulfilled that we heard from the book of uh, the prophet Isaiah. Now, we heard essentially the same story last week, but the details and the timeline were a little bit different. In the gospel according to John, uh, this, the uh, protagonist in the story is uh, St. John the Baptist, who is proclaiming, here is Jesus, here is the one who is to take away the sins of the world. And he does this twice in the story. And the second time, two of his own disciples go and follow Jesus. And one of those, of course, is Andrew. The other one is unnamed. But Andrew spends the afternoon with Jesus and then goes and tells his brother Simon about the encounter and brings Simon to Jesus, who then calls him Cephas, which means Peter. Now, in the case of the gospel according to Matthew, we have essentially the same result, but the timeline's a little bit different. In this uh, version of the story, John has already been arrested, and uh, Jesus had withdrawn to the region of Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to Capernaum. Now, if you go to Capernaum today, uh, there's a sign, it's welcome to Capernaum, Jesus' hometown, <laughs> which is sort of interesting, but uh, he spent a great deal of his time and a great deal of his life in that city, which has been to a large extent excavated, and it's not an extant city, but you can definitely see the roads and the ruins and the homes, um, including the ruins of the synagogue where he would have taught. And he made his way up and down the shore of Galilee from Capernaum over to the city of Magdala, which has also recent, very recently been excavated. And the state of preservation of the synagogue there is excellent. Uh, the walls, of course, are gone, but the floor and the mosaic is, is all there. And you can see the spots where the different types of uh, ceremonial furniture would have been. And so we know, unlike so many holy sites, we know that's exactly where our Lord taught. And so it's a powerful thing to visit. And you, you hear about his, his travels and his walking and going to meet people. But really, it's a very small region. The Sea of Galilee uh, is not much of a sea. It, it does have a lot of fish in it, 
and a lot of fisher, fishermen. Um, it does get very windy and, and stormy, so those stories from the Bible about Jesus walking on water and Peter nearly drowning, you could see how those could come, come to pass. But really, you can see all the way across to the other side, to the Golan Heights, and you can see from one end to the other. It's not even like one of our, uh, I grew up in the Great Lakes, and those are sometimes called the inland seas, and you can't see from one side to the other uh, in that case. But this is a small area, and so between uh, Capernaum and Magdala, you know, I, I would say it might be like walking from Southfields to Slotesburg. Uh, it's a hike, but one could certainly do it. And so that was the world that Jesus lived in for most of his life. And so up and down that shoreline, he met people, he cured people, he preached, he taught in the synagogues, and it is in this place where he began to gather his disciples. So which of the versions, I don't know that it really matters, but the, the, because the same result comes from both. In one, he says, come and see. Three very simple words. In the other, only two words, follow me. And they follow him. But I think in the case of the story that Matthew gives us, we have a more profound sense of conversion. Because in the first case, he comes to Simon and Andrew together, the brothers. And they're mending their nets. And he says, come and follow me. And they follow him. And then another time he comes in across Andrew and John, who are also brothers, sons of Zebedee. And they're in the boat with their father, tending to the family business. Can you imagine? And Jesus comes by and says, follow me. They leave their father. They leave the boat. They leave everything behind. And they're changed. They're so excited to follow this charismatic leader. They're excited to learn about him. They want to believe that he is the Messiah, the one who is to come, the anointed one, the king of Israel. Of course, in their short-sightedness as human beings, they think that he has come to be an earthly king, to take over the earthly empire that is holding their people, the Roman Empire, namely. But that is not what he comes to preach and to teach. Um, last night here in, at St. Mary's, we celebrated a wedding, and one of the readings that I like to read from the Holy Gospels for a wedding is the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, you know those, the story where Jesus uh, starts to speak to the crowd and said, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. He's setting out and laying out sort of... A, a guidebook, if you will, for us, for what it's like in his kingdom. In the kingdom or the empire of Rome, it would be the opposite. It would be blessed are the strong, blessed are the connected, blessed are the sly ones, for they'll get what's coming to them. Namely, power, earthly power, earthly riches, earthly prestige, but Jesus offers none of that. Jesus offers to his disciples then and to us now a more rocky road to travel, a road that is full, filled with joy, yes, but a, joy, a road which leads us to the cross. We must put 
all of our lives with him on the cross. We must lay everything at its feet and allow its saving power to envelop us, to allow his sacrifice of himself once offered to come into our hearts and lives and minds and souls and graft us into his family. It's a free gift. It's the greatest gift of all, if only we will take it. Indeed, also last night, uh, we had our first Evensong and began to read passages from the Interior Castle, which is one of the great works of Christian spirituality and mysticism written by St. Teresa of Avila in the 1500s. And it's, even though it was written over 500 years ago, or 500 years ago now, uh, it's so accessible, and her words are so fresh. And she likens the human soul to a castle made of diamonds or crystal, and how we all have this castle within us, but for so many, we're so fixated with the castle, the exterior of the castle itself, that we never make our way in. And I'm looking forward to reading more of this and refreshing my memory, as I haven't read it since seminary. But again, it's this invitation that God gives us to come into that castle that he has made for us, to come into the throne room, to uh, to discard all the things that would weigh us down and would prevent us from entering that castle. And so we have this great example of Andrew and Peter and James and John who did just that. Now, they weren't perfect, and they had their slip-ups, and they had their doubts, and you know, of course, Peter denied Jesus, much to his heartbreak. But Jesus used these broken, sinful people, these simple people, just like you and me, to be integral parts of the story of salvation. And so we live today as modern-day disciples of Jesus Christ. And whether he calls you, whether, like in the story from John, someone comes to you and says, I have, I have heard about Jesus, or whether you are so moved in a service that you feel Jesus has come to you, However it happens, we all have that invitation to come and see, to come and follow me. And we know that there is sacrifice. We know that there is heartbreak along the way. But we also know that he walks with us. He sustains us. We have his words. We have his sacraments until his coming again, until that great and glorious day when we need them no more. And we have each other, brothers and sisters through him, And we are called to see him in each other and go out into this world and proclaim his good news. Very simply, come, follow me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.